theyeshiva.net. There's a teaching that's attributed to the great Kabbalist, to the Arizal, who says that the word machshava, the word thought, mem ches shin veiz hey, is the same letters like the word besimcha, with joy. Machshava and besimcha are exactly the same letters, right? Machshava is mem ches shin veiz hey, and besimcha is beiz sin mem ches hey, just in a different configuration. So besimcha is, besimcha is machshava, which of course is teaching us something. And that is that it has to do with our mindset. It has to do with how we think about life. There are two ways of thinking about life. There is how happiness thinks, and there is how depression thinks, or how sadness thinks. And it's critical that we develop a mindset of machshava, which is besimcha, because it always begins with my thought processes. As it says in Tanya, every single emotion that we experience, every emotion that we experience, every sensation that we experience in our body, everything that we experience is always preceded by a thought. It doesn't come in a vacuum. There's always a machshava that precedes it. That's what it says in Tanya. And that thought is rooted in a certain inner idea, in a certain inner value or inner emotion or inner attitude or inner perspective, which is rooted in an idea that we have. It's not always easy to see, but that's the truth. Sometimes I need help in tracing back the experience, the sensation, the emotion, to the thought and to the idea that is fueling it. But that is its soul. It has a, it has an engine. And the engine is always an idea. And therefore we say that machshava, when I change my mind, I change my find. When I change my attitude, I change my reality. There's an incredible story that the Tzemach Tzedek writes. Tzemach Tzedek was a grandson of the Baal HaTanya, the Alter Rebbe, his grandfather, the Balatanya, escaped Napoleon, who invaded Russia in the summer of 1812, June 1812. And uh, the Balatanya did not want to be under Napoleon. He preferred that the Tsar would triumph over Bonaparte. And he escaped the city where he lived. The Balatanya lived in a city called Liadi which is in Belarus, or it was called then White Russia. I don't know why it was called White Russia, maybe because of the snow, I'm not sure. But today they call it Belarus. And he escaped to the east. And he escaped to Russia. And then he went further into the Ukraine, and he went down south. And in the middle of the following winter, he fell ill. And he passed away at the end of 1812, December 1812. He was in a little hick town called Piena, and he was buried in a place called Hadish. And his grandfather, his grandson, the Tzamach Tzedek, tells a story. He writes this, and he says, it was Metzoy Shabbos. His grandfather was already ill. He was ill for a few days. Seemed like he had pneumonia. And uh, the tr- running away from Napoleon was one of the harshest Russian winters. It's known that's how Napoleon was defeated, and it it cost him his his life. He says, Metzoy Shabbos, I saw how serious the situation was. And... Um, his grandfather, the Balatanya, made said David Mayriv, and he said he made Havdallah, and he said he made Havdallah Lula, with a very, very clear mind, with extraordinary spiritual oneness with Hashem. So Machtzadik says that he stood to David Mayriv, 
Metzoy Shabbos, Metzoy Shabbos, Shmois Chavdal Tevis Tovkufayim Gimel, the night of the Histalkus of the Balatanya. And he said his Zayda was in bed, and he was davening Shmoy in that room. I guess he wanted to be with his grandfather. And he said he davened Shmoy for a very long time, and he was very, very Marashchayri, he was very despondent. Perhaps he had a hunch, or more than a hunch, of what is going to happen. Tzemach was very, very close to the Balatanya, especially that he raised him. So Samach Tzedek was orphaned by his mother at a very young age when he was a baby. She gave her life for her father. It's a story outside of the realm of this shir. And her condition was that her father, the Balatanya, raises a Samach Tzedek, Rebbe Menachem Mendel of Lubavitch. So he was extremely close with the Balatanya. And these were the last moments. And he said, I David Maidev with a tremendous sense of sadness, a very long Maidev, a lot of tears and a lot of pain and a lot of agony. And like a certain sense of marishchayra, of despondency. He says, my grandfather waited till I finished davening. And when I finished davening, he called me over and he spoke to me. And he said to me the words that are in Zoyar Parshas Tetzaveh. And he repeated to his grandson the whole piece of Zoyar there of Parshas Tetzaveh. Tochazi. I want you to come see the Zoyar says. Al-me'ilah kegavanen al the higher world parallels the lower world. There are parallel universes. Our world is a mirror of a higher world. And when somebody lives a certain way in this world, it affects many other levels of reality because they're all interconnected. If I can give the example in a negative sense of the coronavirus, a little microorganism is released into the, into the ear through a droplet, through a sneeze, through a handshake. And then what happens? It travels, it immediately travels, and it travels far, and it travels wide. So there are relationships and connections that we don't always see with our naked eye. So the Zohar says that what happens, what I do in this world, doesn't just affect what I just did right here, right now, in my environment, in my body. It's, it's like uh, you know the domino effect. You push down the domino, and many dominoes, even invisible ones, are impacted. And the Zohar says that when you show a face of melancholiness, of depression, of sadness, of dejection. Down here, it's actually mirrored up there. And the person generates a certain energy of negativity. On the contrary, when a person generates an energy of joy and simcha and positivity, then that is the energy they unleash in the world and that comes back to them. Because it travels through this world, it affects the upper worlds. And like the Baal Shem Tev said, the Pasuk says, Hashem Tzilcha. Hashem is your shadow. What does it mean, Hashem is your shadow? So literally, it means like He's our protection, you know, like you, 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 you find uh, refuge in the shadows. You find shade, protection from the scorching heat of the sun. But the Baal Shem Tev said, Hashem Tzilcha, it's brought in Kedusha Slevi numerous times in the name of the Baal Shem Tev. Kedusha Slevi tells us Yaakov Yosef, Hashem Tzilcha means that your shadow follows you. My shadow is a reflection of me. So he says, Hashem Tzilcha, Kevayachal, Hashem responds to human energy, to human behavior, because we are co-creators. The Gemara says in Shabbos, Kuf Yutes, A person essentially has the power to be a Shutaf of Hashem in the creation of the world. The, the Medrash says in Pirkei de Rebeliezer, fascinating thing, that when Hashem created the world, He surrounded it, He created like a fortress, a wall protecting the planet, or the world, from all four, from three sides, besides the north. The north he left open. Ruach Tzvainis Enemis of Evis. 
the northern side is not encircled. Whatever that means, whether what it means astronomically, cosmologically, it's not for this year. But it says the northern the northern side is not encircled. Why? So the Birkin of Belezah says, so that if somebody comes and says, I'm God, so they say, really, you're God? Why don't you create a wall around the northern side? You, pl- you plug the northern side, it shouldn't, there shouldn't be a, a, a breach. It's a strange medrash. Somebody comes and says, I'm God. So the, the Lubavitcher Rebbe once, he gave a hadron on Masechus Shabbos, 1962, a very deep hadron. So he explained this medrash, because it wasn't a very original and creative and daring way. And he said as follows, the, the Medrash says, in Medrash Shabbat Parshas Vayechi, that Yaakov Avinu gathered his children to his deathbed. And he said, come my children, he coughed to gather El Yisrael Avichim, to Yisrael your father. So the Medrash says a very fascinating interpretation. I want you to gather El Yisrael Avichim to Yisrael, who's El. El can also be read as Kale. That you gather to Yisrael, your father who is like Kale, because the Pasuk says in Vayishlach, Vayikri loy Kale lekei Yisrael. Hashem called Yaakov Avinu Kale. Ma? HaKadosh Baruch Hu Bayre Elamas, Afavichem Bayre Elamas. Just as Hashem creates worlds, your father also creates worlds. What does this mean? It says, Mitzafayn Tiposachara. From the north comes evil, because Yirmiyah Navi said that from Bavel, Babylonia, which is north from Eretz Yisrael, that's where the evil of Nebuchadnezzar came to destroy the first base of Mikdash. So Tzafen and Kabbalah represents a source of negativity. Ruach Tzvainis Enemis of Evis. Hashem did allow a breach. He allowed that toxicity should be able to feed off holiness. What's the job of the Jew? The job of the Jew is to create a fortress and not allow Ruach Tzvainis, not allow negativity to get any energy from us. We have to harness all of our energy into positivity. So the Medrash says, Hashem left the northern side open. So that if somebody comes and says, I'm a creator, we'll say, go, close that. He says, and that's the Jew. The Jew who's a child of Yaakov, who's considered a boiri oilamus, we are the ones who are co-creators with Hashem. And we also create the worlds. We're the ones who plug and, and seal off the parasitic energy that can go from Kedusha into Klippa. So the Alter Rebbe says to the Tzemach Tzedek, back to the story, that your moods, your dispositions, your characteristics, your mental space, your emotions, and the attitude that you project into the world, actually is not just you person, it's not just about you yourself. It creates a different reality, it creates a different impact. And therefore, he said, my grandfather warned me, and he says, this type of attitude and perspective is something that you must be cautious not to allow it to control your life and to dictate your life. This was the last message that he left to his grandson. And a few minutes later, around uh, 10.25 p.m., the Tzemach Tzedek writes, he returned his soul to its maker. Indeed, the Tzemach Tzedek is the one who coined that very popular phrase in Yiddish, Tracht gut, vedzain gut. Think good and it will be good. Which means, it's not just wishful thinking. Think good, why not? Think positive, it won't kill you. It's a good thing to think positive. And neuroscientists and psychologists tell us, that our mental space and our attitudes and our moods affect our health, they affect our physical health. But it's much deeper than that. The Tzedek was saying that consciousness is the source of matter. Matter is not a derivative of consciousness. I'm sorry, consciousness is not a derivative of matter. Matter is a derivative of consciousness. So when you tracht good, when you think positive, you create an impact. You unleash an energy. You actually, today we know in neuroscience, extraordinary studies, you actually recalibrate, you, you reformat 
neural pathways in your brain. You actually affect yourself, you're affected on a cellular level, but that's a big avoider. Because trach gut is not just a fake thing, it's like, yeah, let's just think good. Trach gut is a real inner avoider pnimis, it's an internal avoider, where a person really, really tunes in every moment to the fact that Hashem is creating this moment right now, that's the power of now. The power of now means that I am completely dedicated to now. There's not a past and there's not a future. I learn from the past, I prepare for the future, but the moment is now, of now is, that's everything. You connect to Hashem by connecting to the moment right now, right here, right now. And in this moment, there is absolute infinite goodness because God is creating you right now, this moment, to fulfill His purpose and His mission right at this moment. It's hard because most of us, and many of us, live in the past. My mind is racing, my thoughts are busy rehashing things that happened 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, consciously or subconsciously, and I'm still stuck in that. But that ability to really, really be able to emancipate myself from all that and tune into the heartbeat of creation and tune into the present moment, this takes mental work and spiritual work, but it's a very, very liberating work. So when we have thoughts, when we have attitudes, it actually has a power to really have an impact on reality. It seems strange, but that's the fact that our observations and our thought processes have a direct impact on our brain, on our physiological structure, on our cellular structure, and even on structures far outside of us physically because we are all interconnected. We're all part of a physical ecosystem and we're all part of a metaphysical and spiritual ecosystem. Now the concept of Simcha, as the rabbi mentioned earlier, Rosh Hashanah is called a Yomtev. Rosh Hashanah is called a holiday. And people wonder if it's a day of judgment and it's such a serious day and it is a very serious day and we coronate the king. What's the Simcha? Why is it called a Yomtev? Why is it a holiday? It should be called just a very serious introspective day. But not we have a mitzvah of Simchas Yomtev and a mitzvah to have Sudas Yomtev as the Novez and Nechemia tells us about Rosh Hashanah. Ichluma, <coughs> excuse me, Ichluma Mashmanim, Ursumam Takim, this is considered a, a beautiful day and a day to enjoy, a day, day to celebrate. But the truth is that Simcha in Judaism is not like some people think, it's a type of frivolousness. Simcha actually comes from Dvekas. The closer I am to Hashem, the more joy I feel. Because the principle is, the Pesach says in Tehillim, we say it in the morning, In Hashem's space, there's always confidence and there's always joy. So whenever you're in a divine space, you'll always have these two feelings. How do you know that you're in a divine space? What's the parameter? The parameter is always if you're in a place of confidence and a place of joy. If you're in a place of insecurity, a place of uh, self-loathing, a place of mediocrity, a place of self-hate, a place of always doubting yourself and inner anxiety, or a space where there's no joy, there's just sadness and depression and negativity and toxicity, I'm not ben I'm, I'm I'm misaligned. There's a lack of connection. There's a dissonance. Whenever you're in the divine space, you'll experience a flow of oiz and chedva, a flow of confidence and a flow of joy. Because real confidence means that I'm a conduit. I'm a conduit for something deeper. And therefore it's not about me. I don't take myself personally, but I take the cause. I don't take myself so seriously, but I take the cause seriously and I see myself as a channel and a conduit. That's where real confidence comes from. That confidence doesn't undermine humility and that humility is not a contradiction to confidence. And then there's chedva, oiz v'chedva There's joy in his space. In the divine space, there's joy. What is joy? What does it mean to be happy? To be happy really means that I'm in tuned with my purpose. 
Happiness doesn't mean that everything is always perfect and there's no flaws and there's no pain and everything is going exactly my way. That's not what happiness is. It says, If do us Hashem besimcha, serve Hashem with joy. The service of Hashem is something that applies to a Jew 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Which means that simcha is a perpetual state. That's why it says, Mishanichnas Adar, Marbim besimcha. So Reb Tzaddik says, because simcha is all year. A Jew equals simcha. Mishanichnas Adar, Marbim besimcha. But the state of a Jew is simcha, because Ivdu as Hashem besimcha. And when you're not serving God, as the Rambam says in Hilchas Day, is Peregimah, when you're sleeping, you're serving Hashem. And when you're eating, and when you're drinking, and when you're engaging in business, when you're engaging in intimacy, the Rambam says there, so therefore, Avodas Hashem is consistent, it's perpetual. So Simcha is also consistent. Every moment of life, there's a mitzvah of Simcha. Because there's a mitzvah of Avodas Hashem. So therefore, even though the Torah doesn't give one of the 613 mitzvahs, it says a mitzvah to be besimcha, but it's like the bedrock of Avodas Hashem. Or as Rabbi Aaron Karlina once said, that depression or sadness is not a sin. But what it could accomplish to a person, for a person, what it could do to a person in terms of damage, no other sin can do. Because for a sin, you can do tshuva. But for depression and sadness, what type of tshuva is there? I get stuck in it. So Rabbi Aaron Karlin warned about that. He also warned, he said, the greatest tragedy is when a prince forgets that he or she is a prince. So what then is simcha? Simcha is something that accompanies me 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. It's not that everything is going mamish the way I like it. Of course, everybody should have that. Everything should go exactly the way you like it, without struggle, and that would be wonderful, and I bless all of you to be able to have that bliss. But we all know that there are disappointments, there are frustrations, and ultimately a man was created to work. Adam la'amal yulad. We weren't created just to be couch potatoes and eat sushi and uh, sunflower seeds. A person was created for toil. Adam la'amal yulad. The Gemara in Sanhedrin brings three shittas, if it's amal malacha, amal sicha, amal toira. Which type of amal? But a person was created for toil, amal. So simcha doesn't mean that everything is perfect, everything is dandy. I live in a lala land. I live in a, uh, <laughs> you know, in, in an amusement park where everything is always going the way I want. There's no setbacks. There's no failure. There's no frustration. That human being has not yet been created. Sheva yipel tzaddik v'kam. Even the tzaddik, as Shlomo Melech says, falls down seven times and then rises. What then is simcha? So I think one powerful definition for simcha means, real joy means, that you're completely aligned with your purpose every moment. And that you can do have every moment. In other words, I may be having a struggle. I may be experiencing a struggle. I may have to work through something that's difficult inside of me with somebody else. And it's not easy. I may have to face certain realities that will cause me pain. I may have to deal with regret and remorse, which we call tshuva. But tshuva is also a mitzvah. And if tshuva is a mitzvah, it also has to be done b'simcha. This I heard from the Rebbe myself quite a few times. He said, if tshuva is a mitzvah, it has to be done b'simcha. What's the simcha? The simcha is not that everything is perfect. If it was perfect, I didn't have to do tshuva. The, the simcha is that at every moment I could fulfill the purpose. That's the, that's the simcha. Very powerful idea. Tshuva means that I could fulfill the purpose. Not everything is perfect. But right now, I could fulfill my purpose. And perhaps my purpose right now is to grieve. Perhaps the purpose right now is to experience remorse. Perhaps the purpose right now is to say I'm sorry, to apologize. Perhaps the purpose right now is to glean, to glean a lesson, to learn something from it. Those are all monumentally important experiences and therefore experiences of purpose, experiences of meaning. So simcha is the knowledge and the conviction that at every single moment of my life, I can do the right thing. 
And that is very deeply satisfying. Not that every moment of my life is dandy and sweet and perfect. Halavai, but that's not the case. That every moment of my life I can choose to go into the divine space and do the right thing. Whatever the circumstances are, what is the right thing? That differs from moment to moment. What was yesterday the right thing may be today the wrong thing. What is today the right thing may be tomorrow the wrong thing. I was tonight lecturing to the Jewish community in Panama. So a woman writes to me, she says, every Rosh Hashanah I go to Shul, every Rosh Hashanah. This year I have a dilemma. My 92-year-old father is not allowed to go to Shul because of the pandemic, coronavirus. But I always go to Shul. Do I stay with him at home or do I go to Shul? Great question. Of course, you know probably the answer I gave her, right? (laughs) If you listen to me a little bit, you know the answer I gave her. And I said, we don't worship anything. God doesn't have an image. We don't worship a particular ritual. Sometimes going to shul is a mitzvah, and sometimes not going to shul is a mitzvah. God doesn't exist in one format, in one structure, in one mold. We don't make graven images. God exists, the Kotzke Rebbe, right? He once asked his students, Who is God? Where is God? They said, everywhere. He said, wherever you let him in. Wherever you let him in. There is the channel of how you connect to God today. And that may be very different than how I connected yesterday. There's a beautiful story. There was a pandemic in Tveria, in Tiberias. This was uh, in the days of Reb Mendele Vitebske, Reb Menachem Mendel of Horodok, the author of Priya Aretz was one of the greatest students of the Magad of Mezrich, and a Rebbe of the Balatanya. And Rebbe Mendelevitebsker went into quarantine. He writes a letter that he was with his family in quarantine from after Purim till after Shavuos, just like us, after Purim after Shavuos. He was there, and he was saved. It was a crazy pandemic. A lot of people perished, but they were completely in quarantine. They remained socially distant, and they survived. There was one man in the group who had this burning desire to go to the mikveh. He was a spiritual man. There was no mikveh for a few months. So he sneaked out, he left, and he went to the mikveh. And sadly, he was infected and he passed away. And they say in the name of Reb Mendel Vitebsker that he said that it's a pity that this Jew did not have a muna in the Pasik. We're going to read it on Yom Kippur. Hashem dwells with the Jewish people in the midst of their impurity. Because if he would have believed that Pasik, he would have known that Hashem dwells inside of this person, inside of him. Sometimes it's a time to go to the mikveh, and sometimes you, the, the mitzvah is not to go to the mikveh. He says, but he didn't believe it. So we don't serve Hashem in a specific way. What simcha, simcha is tuning into what the purpose is right now. And the purpose right now may be very different than the purpose yesterday. Now I may have to confront something that's ugly. That's fine. Don't get depressed. This is right now your purpose. This is your shlichus. This is your mission. This is where you're going to find your rabbi Shalom. And therefore do it with confidence and do it with joy. And every moment of my life, I, know, I could tell myself, this is now the right thing to do. Maybe I have to make that telephone call. Maybe I have to send that message. Maybe I have to confront that demon. Maybe I have to deal with that anxiety. Maybe I have to deal with this relationship. Maybe I have to work out this contact, whatever it may be, inside of me, my relationship with others, my relationship with Hashem, my relationship with my spouse, my children. Sometimes amazing and sometimes uncomfortable. So what? Awkwardness doesn't mean you're not besimcha. Awkwardness just means you're triumphing, you're, you're trumping a challenge that you're dealing with. And that even can cause a greater simcha. So that is simcha. Simcha is 
constantly being, when I'm aligned with my purpose, it means I'm aligned with my core, because I'm aligned with my mission, I'm aligned with my calling. Remember, God created me for a purpose. As long as I'm not aligned with that purpose, there is fragmentation in my life. This is deep. When I become aligned with my purpose, the outer and the inner merge into a seamless whole. There's no dissonance anymore. Because my outer manifestation and my core are at peace. That's where peace of mind comes from. Peace of mind comes from unity. It comes from achdus. It comes from harmony. Realizing that we live in that world of oneness. All dissonance creates a split and it creates dissonance in the mind. So whenever we become really, really attuned to our inner purpose, even if it's a difficult moment, there is an inner sense of joy. A joy that comes from the fact that I know that I'm being... I'm serving as a conduit for the infinite oneness that is being manifested through me. And even though many of us find this difficult and we feel that the Jewish way is more one of guilt and heaviness, but that's not the case. Especially in the teachings of the Baal, all the teachings of Torah, but especially the teachings of the Baal and his students who constantly emphasized the need for Simcha. Or as the Tanya writes in the Geras HaKadosh, Yeralof Laskil Chabina, V'lochein, the sages of truth, all the sages of Kabbalah, were so um, allergic to the mid of depression, to the mid of sadness, because it represents dissonance, it represents, it represents alienation. Simcha then takes on even a deeper space. And here we come to the teaching of the Magad of Mizrich. It's one of, uh, it's one of his stunning, stunning teachings. Uh, Elisha says in the Navi, in the Tanakh, he says, Elisha says, I need a menagin, I need somebody to play an instrument and produce music for me to be able to uh, experience the divine. So the Pesach says, As the menagin, as the singer began to sing, play, as the singer, as the, the, the musician began to play the music, the spirit of Hashem rested upon him, upon Elisha. So the Magad says, what's the Vayihi Kenagen HaMenagen? Right? Kenagen HaMenagen. So he says that uh, there's a Nagen and there's a Menagen. Nagen is the Nigen, the Nigen. Menagen was the one who's playing the Nigen or singing the Nigen. You say, he's a Menagen. And then there's the Nigen. So he says, Vayihi Kenagen HaMenagen Vatiyel of Ruach Hashem. When the Menagen became one with the Nigen, that's when the Divine Spirit dwelled on him. You understand what this means? Let's take the instrument, the violin. The violin doesn't have an ego. The violin, when you play the violin, why is it so beautiful? The violin doesn't have an ego. The violin is not self-conscious. The violin is just a keli, it's a channel. And when you use the violin to play the music through the violin, the violin becomes one with the music. It becomes a channel for the music. When that happens to the person playing the music, to the person playing the violin, to the person playing the piano, to the person playing the guitar, to the person stringing the violin, to the person playing the cello or the harp, whatever the instrument is, or the one who sings, when the menagin becomes the nigan itself. In other words, it's not me playing the instrument or me singing the song. Rather, I and the song become one. I basically become a transparent conduit through which the song flows, and my eye is not there to interrupt the energy. That's when you're in the divine space, that's when you lose your self-consciousness and centeredness, and you become a conduit for infinity. I once heard from a great musician, and he said, 
I asked him, how do you know that your concerto was successful? He was a pianist. And he said something very profound. He said, I'm playing the piano, and in the middle of playing the piano, I'm not there anymore. I'm just not there. I don't feel myself anymore. He says, then my fingers have become a conduit for the niggin, for the music itself. If I'm playing the music and I'm thinking, okay, how am I doing? They like me, they don't like me. Are they going to hire me next year? Do you think the crowd likes me? Should I go on? Should I not go on? <laughs> You're interrupting the energy. It's not only true with, with Nagin, it's true with every art. Every art. You can ask every artist. Uh, I speak a lot. I'm a communicator. At least I try to speak. I try to communicate. I know this with myself. Sometimes I speak and I'm hearing my words. I'm hearing what I'm saying. It's not good. It happens. It happens often. I'm stuck. I'm stuck in myself. People may not always know. Sensitive people know it. Sensitive people feel it. But I'm stuck. The words are not just... There's no seamless, seamless flow. There's no transparency. When the menagin is not there anymore, he becomes the nigan. I'm not there. I'm not communicating. I become the communication. The Rebbe would always say, the Rebbe said this a lot. I heard it from him quite a few times. Fascinating. He would quote a sefer from the Beis Yosef. Beis Yosef had a sefer called Magid Mesharim. You know Magid Mesharim? Beis Yosef was an interesting person. Rabbi Yosef Karo. He wrote Kesef Mishnah on the Rambam. Then he wrote Beis Yosef on the tour. Then he wrote a Shulchan Aruch. He has Shalsu Tshuvas Efkes Reichel. But he also wrote a mystical book called Magid Mesharim. A Magid, an angel, revealed himself to the Beis Yosef. And he taught him Torah. And he wrote this up, Magid with the dates and the dreams and the visions. It's quite, fa- it's unbelievable. Fascinating. So there's an expression there. Ani ha-mishnah ha I am the Mishnah that speaks through your mouth. In other words, his mouth became the Mishnah. I'm not speaking anymore. I have become completely aligned with my source. And then everything changes. Now, you're just a channel. The moment you're a channel, infinity flows through you. And that's the moment of ultimate simcha. The moment of ultimate simcha is that I'm not present. And if I'm not present, I'm completely one. When I was a bacher, I remember somebody came over to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Choshevarov, and he said, Vos mach de Rebbe. Which in Yiddish means, I'm sorry, uh, Uh, he said, "We filter, we filter zich," which literally means, "How do you, how do you feel? How do you feel yourself?" So he said, "The Rebbe said, the shver had gezak." My father was, "I'm a filled zich as shenishgot." He said, "We filled zich the Rebbe. How is the Rebbe feeling himself?" So he said, "My father-in-law said, if you're feeling yourself, it's not good." <laughs> and he gave a beautiful metaphor. He says, "How do you know if you're healthy? What's the difference?" If I'm feeling my pinky, right? If I'm now having this acute sensation of my pinky or my nose or my hand, what does it mean? It means that there's a scratch, there's a wound, chas v'shalom, an infection. If I'm feeling my head, what does it mean? I have a headache. If I'm feeling my leg, if I'm feeling my foot, it means there's a problem, right? It's a problem. It could be sciatica, it could be a pinched nerve, whatever it is, it could be a cut, a bruise. When you're healthy, how do you know you're healthy? You don't feel your body. It should be the other way around. When you're healthy, you should feel every part of your body, but it's not true. And how about after exercise? 
you run for a couple hours, you exercise for a long time, right? Or you play this intense basketball game and you finish, and afterwards you feel your body? Afterwards you feel this lightness. When you're feeling heavy and lethargic, even if not sick, but just heavy lethargic, what does it mean? It means that you're not in a good place of optimal health. Why is it? So he said, because health means that your body is aligned with the soul. So your body is just a conduit for the soul's energy. The moment I start feeling my body, it's not because I'm healthy, it's because I'm not healthy. It's because the body is now occupying its own independent space, and therefore you're feeling it. So he said, as mefilt zich is shenish gut. When you're completely in a healthy state, you don't feel yourself. You don't even feel the fact that you're not feeling yourself. You just are. You're one with the rhythm of life. You're one with the dance of life. The paradox is, the more we talk about it, the less we experience it. So, This is the deeper component of Simcha. The deeper component of Simcha is, and it takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of Aveda to be able to let go of everything and to be able to really experience yourself as a conduit. Now, it's hard because in the pressures of life, and in the inner pressures of life, where I have demands for myself and expectations of myself, and I'm telling all these messages to myself, it's very, very hard to let go. I'm always trying to control everything. I know this in my life, and I assume in many other lives. But really, you become free, and you become most productive when you just let go. You really, really let go. And you allow the energy to flow through you. Sometimes we need help. But this is where the deeper simcha comes in. You and the joy become one. The menagen becomes the nigen. And it's so true with educating your children. When you educate your children, you have to take your ego out of the picture. It's not like he insulted me, she insulted me, I'm going to get them back. What's this chutzpah? Because then I'm not educating. Then I myself become a child. Basically, my child is triggering me to become a child. And now it's child against child. But what happens if I can acknowledge the pain, because I'm a human, I can acknowledge the pain, I can identify it, I can give it its space. But then I can really go to a much deeper place and ask myself, what is the purpose of parenting at this moment? What does God want from me at this moment? What is really this moment? And suspend everything else. What does this moment call for? Yes, feel the pain. You, you could feel the pain. You have to, because if not, you repress it and it haunts you. So step one is to feel the pain. But step two is to take a deep breath and to really align yourself with your purpose. And then ask myself in a very, very deep place, what's my purpose now as an adult? What's my purpose as a father and a mother? Rather than just the instinctive reaction of rage or pain or loneliness or sadness or betrayal, that comes up, but I don't, I don't even know that it comes up. It just hijacks my brain and it defines me. Today, as we live in a generation and we live in a time right before the Geula Shlema, Hayoyim Haras Olam, this entire message becomes even more vital and critically important because we see that there's a tremendous outburst of anxiety, okay? <laughs> Hands down. Wherever I go, I mean on Zoom, I'm not going anywhere. But wherever I go, whoever I talk to, this is a common question. There's so much anxiety and stress. And people want to know why. Is it all the coronavirus? And I say, yeah, the coronavirus is stressful for people. That's true. But let's face it. Our grandparents and great-grandparents had much more difficult lives. Come on, we all know that. Despite our challenges today, and I'm not minimizing tragedy or anything, God forbid. 
But there's so much anxiety and fear and stress today. I say, maybe I'm wrong. I'm just giving you my speculation. I'm not, uh, I'm not vouching that this is authentic. I just feel that this is true. And uh, you may agree with me. You may not agree with me. It's fine. Uh, it just resonates for me. And my wife agrees with me. So that's important. I think that right before the Geula, all the toxicity of generations comes to the surface so that we can extricate ourselves from it. That's what's happening. The trauma that you're experiencing is not just your own trauma, it's yours too. But it could also be from your mom and your baba and your elder baba and your father and your elder zayde. Many generations, Holocaust, you know, Russia, Stalin, pre, pre-Holocaust, pre pre-this, well, we have had a lot of trauma. And it's coming up now. It's coming to the surface. And whenever things come to the surface, it's only for you to deal with it. How do you deal with it? Sometimes you subdue it. Sometimes you confront it. Sometimes you transform it. Sometimes you quarantine it. But you got to deal with it. You don't deny it. You deal with it. The reason you don't deny it is because this is a teaching of the Balshamtiv. Because we believe that God is, God is everywhere and God is everything. So denying it means denying God. It's an incredible teaching of the Balshamtiv. When toxicity comes to the fore, I want you to understand this. When toxicity comes to the fore, denying it is denying God. Because what's coming to the fore is not just the toxicity. What's coming to the fore is the spark of God within the toxicity. So if it's coming to the fore, it's really God speaking to me. God speaking to me through the toxicity. Now that's very heavy. And it can be very confusing and it can be very dangerous. Okay? Tanya chapter 28, right? You got to know. When, yev, and isht, etc. He has a different approach. And it's all true. Because you have to know. Where you are, where you're not. The point here is, when the toxicity comes from the subconscious to the fore, it's a conversation of God. It's a conversation God is having with me. Now you're going to tell me that's God? The anxiety, the toxicity. No, the toxicity is not God. But the toxicity is hiding in its sparks of God. Very deep sparks. And I have to peel away the layers, the facades, and I have to excavate the truth. If I don't peel away the layers, the toxicity is just paralyzing. It's negative. It's not good. But if I peel away the layers and I look into it, there's a very deep message there. Very comforting message. It's really a spiritual alarm clock. It's alerting me to who I am, to who I could be, to who I need to be, to who I want to be, and to who I'm capable of becoming. So the Baal Shem Tov says, when this comes to the fore, it's, it's, it's God brought it to the fore. Hashem is there. So now it's time to deal with it. Not dealing with it is not holy. Not dealing with it is a, a form, it's intense, it's a form of kfir. It's believing that God is just not here, and that we don't accept that. We don't accept it if you're a student of the Baal Shem Tov. <laughs> Sorry. God is here. God is in your space, always. And you're in His space. So we just don't accept this notion. I don't deal with it. I can't deal with it. How you deal with it, that's a good question. Sometimes dealing with it means just quarantining it. Sometimes dealing with it means acknowledging it. Just acknowledging that it's there. And not falling prey to it. Realizing this is trauma speaking. This is toxicity speaking. I don't have time for it. It's not me. That itself is called dealing with it. Sometimes dealing with it means something even deeper. That depends on the circumstances and every situation, and there's a lot to say about that. But the common denominator is, it's all coming up now on the sur- to the surface. You know why? Because before the Gula, we must extricate ourselves from it and extricate it from us. The avoid of Birurim, 
comes to an end. What's the avoid of the avoid of Berurim is selecting the good from the bad. That comes to an end. And basically, the trauma comes to the fore. The negativity comes to the fore. And it gives everybody an opportunity to be able to identify with what they need to identify with and not identify with what they don't need to identify with. So therefore, all this is coming now up, not to get us down, but to live, elevate us. So we all know the Alter Rebbe's Taj, Menasa from the word, Arim Nisi Alaharim, uplift, elevate. The Pasuk says in Re'e, Hashem is lifting you up, Menasa. The word Nisayin means a test. The word Nisayin means a miracle, Nase. And the word Nisayin means to uplift, like an elevated banner. It's all the same thing. A test is there to uplift you in order to help you perform the miracles of your life. Because a miracle means going out of the comfort zone and shocking myself. And therefore, all this stress is coming up for one reason, I believe, for us to be able to extricate it from our systems, to be able to cleanse ourselves, to be able to open ourselves up to real simcha. Because geula is the time when we see the harmony, when we see the oneness, when everything is aligned with its ultimate purpose, and therefore the simcha pervades everything. So my dearest friends, as you come into Rosh Hashanah and Aser Simei Yom Kippur, these are the days of the deepest closeness. Dear Shu Hashem so the Gemara says in Rosh Hashanah, Elo Asare Yamim, Shabin Rosh Hashanah Leyem Akipurim, Hashem calls himself present, and Hashem calls himself close. The Balatanya says that during these days is Kiruv Hamoyer El Hanitzutz, every Neshama is a spark of infinity. When you bring a candle close to a bonfire, the candle becomes subsumed in the bonfire. So when you bring a Neshama close to the bonfire, to the source, the Neshama becomes subsumed, it melts away in the ecstasy of infinity. So during the time of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, says the Balatanya, Skiruv HaMoyer El Hanitzutz, the Moyer, the source of all souls, comes close to the spark, to the individual flame. So what happens? The flame naturally becomes, bottle it becomes, nichl it becomes subsumed in the Moyer. In other words, this is the time of the greatest Kiruv, of the greatest intimacy. Even the concept of Rosh Hashanah as a day of judgment, what is this? It's that Hashem is accentuating and identifying exactly where you are, exactly where you failed, exactly where you succeeded, and the reasons for it inside of you, to be able to help you discover a year in which you can maximize your potentials and live your life to the fullest. So at this time, there is profound simcha, there is profound joy. It's the joy of coming back to yourself. The greatest joy is the joy of tshuva. Tshuva is the joy of alignment, the happiness of living a purpose-driven life at every single moment as discussed before. And therefore, this is the pinnacle of Simchen, really Sukkah, Simchas is just a manifestation of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. The famous expression of the Rashab, what Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur accomplish on one level, Sukkah, Shmini Yatzeri, Simchas accomplish on a different level. One represents the direction of Aliyah, the other represents the direction of Hamshacha, but it's the same energy. The energy of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur in a state of Aliyah ascent is the energy that's later manifested, Sukkot Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, in a state of descent. 
which is a very profound idea. It's the same energy, it's just it's going in the opposite direction. Here you're going up, and here you're going down. So the Simcha of Sukkot is really a manifestation and an explosion of the relationship that happened on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So therefore, as we stand at the threshold of a new year, and we stand at the threshold of a Geula Shleim this is the time that you and I need to be able to cultivate an attitude of deep simcha and joy and ecstasy and celebration. And may we indeed experience a beautiful and amazing and happy year, a year full of simcha, tovshin peyalov, sezdich sam soifer, may ashpois yorim evyon, b'nishalaylam will lift all the destitute from the heaps of garbage and filth, may ashpois from the abyss, tovshin peyalov, yorim evyon, from that ashpa, to uplift the person, to be able to experience the Ashreinu Matayv Chalkeinu, Uma Noyim Goyaleinu, Uma Yafi Yerushaseinu, Misim Choscha Shesomachta Boy, Karoses Shmo Yisrael Vishurun, until that great moment when the Novi Yeshaya says, Simchas Oilam Al Roisham, eternal joy will dwell on their heads. Bimheira Biyameinu, Amen. Thank you very much. And Ashana Toivam Sukkah to one. And all Ashnaz Geula, Ashnaz Yeshua, and Ashnaz Simcha. Thank you. Right. What makes it difficult, though, it, you're, you're 100% right, but you have to also realize what makes it difficult is sometimes the way people's minds are programmed to think. And that sometimes is more difficult than everything else. In other words, you know, the, the, the gold could be right in front of me, but if I'm facing in a different direction and I refuse to face this direction... You say, it's right here, it's easy, it's easy, it's easy, it's easy, but I can't turn around. So we have to acknowledge that in life. Sometimes it's very easy, but if my mental space is not allowing, my mental state is not allowing me to go there, it becomes excruciatingly difficult. But not because it's really difficult, but just because my brain has this message that it's difficult. So part of that avoid is to really open yourself up to the possibility that you're thinking about it in a wrong way. In other words, my very thought, my, we come back to machshava besimcha. Like you re- I really have to open myself up to the idea that what I'm calling so hard is only from my perception right now. And if I would be able to be vulnerable and have the courage to just let go and strip myself from all the facades and fake garments and just be real and authentic. Like it says in Zoyar, tshuva is b'shayte chada u'birige chada. It's a moment. I once heard from the Rebbe at a Fabrengen, such a taich. He said like this, the Gemara says in Avodah Zorah, that when Rebbe Lazar ben Durdaya died, the whole story of Avodah Zorah, Daf Yudzayin, Yudches, so Rebbe cried and he said, Yesh koina ilomoy b'sha achas. What does sha achas mean? One hour, right? Like, this guy spent his whole life to get Eilam Haba. And this guy, b'sha achas, you know, one minute, one hour, shayin Eilam Haba. The Rebbe said the word sha, in Tanakh, also comes from the word, it says, Vayisha Hashem el Hevel. Hashem turned. He paid attention to Hevel. Right? Loishoi love. He wasn't attentive to him. So he said, achas. He said in Yiddish, achas. Mit ein ker. Shah means ein ker, which literally means with one turn. With one turn. Vayar Hashem kisar liris. Mit ein ker. It's a ker. A ker means turn around. It's, it's, it's a movement. 
And that movement happens in a split, in a split moment. You don't have to climb the Himalayas. You don't have to climb Mount Everest. You don't have to fly to the other side of the world. It's in care. But that care is sometimes mysterious nefesh. Because it may be shocking my whole comfort zone. For 45 years or for 55 years or for 25 years, I've been telling myself, I'm a messed up loser. I'm a depressed, traumatized soul. I'm full of guilt. And it ain't care. With that one turn, you open yourself up and you say, you know what? This is my trauma speaking. <laughs> At the end of the day, all those things and feelings that you have about yourself are just thoughts. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, you're emphasizing that they have no real significance. And it's very true. But you also always have to empathize with the idea that sometimes a person does not realize this. You know, in his world, it's not his thoughts. In his world, it's him. So we have to appreciate how hard that can be, even though it's so easy. <laughs> even though it's so easy. But in his mind, it's murder. Because it's not my thoughts, it's me. It's not my thoughts. And we slowly have to be able to show this person that these are thoughts, they're not you. You have to be able to say, I am not my thoughts. I am not my thoughts. I am not my thoughts. That's why it says in Tanya, a hundred places, that machshava is called levush. Thoughts are garments. They're jackets. They're ties. They're shirts. Now, I like my jacket. I think it's nice. I like my tie. I didn't buy it, but somebody else bought it. I think it's nice. But you can't get, you can't get married to your tie. You don't get married to, you, to your suit. And if it gets dirty, you take it off. And even if you can't take it off because you're in the middle of a shear, okay, so you'll sit for another half an hour with it, but then you're going to take it off. So your machshava is your garment. It's important. Garments are important. You don't go out to the street without garments. That's how we represent ourselves, to ourselves and to others. But it's a garment. I am not my garment. And if somebody spills, if somebody spills orange juice on my suit, I may be upset. But no normal person is going to say, oh, I'm dirty forever. <laughs> you're not dirty. Your garment is dirty. You're not dirty. You're not even dirty for five minutes. Your garment is dirty. So your machshavas are problematic. Okay. But these are things we all have to learn and we have to train ourselves. And... Someone is asking a question over here. They said, how since we're the lowest generation, how can we carry everything from our previous generation and elevate it? Because it's related to this. Good question. Good question. So the Chavis writes... That we are like uh, midgets on the shoulders of giants. Kenanos al gabayanok, meaning uh, we may be midgets, but we're sitting on the shoulders of giants. We're not an isolated generation that emerged into history a couple of years ago. We are the continuous chain of Kalal Yisrael that begins with Maimed Har Sinai. And each one of the Gemara has an expression in Hayri as Daf Hate, Sibur Loy Mace. Individuals die. Klal Yisrael doesn't die. The same chefts of Klal Yisrael that stood at Har Sinai, that built the first Beis Hamikdash, that built the second Beis Hamikdash, that wrote the Mishnah and the Gemara, the same Klal Yisrael is still here. The individual can die. The Tzibur, it's the same Tzibur, same Tzibur of Klal Yisrael. So it's the same Klal Yisrael. So we're not isolated Jews. We may be midgets, but we're standing on the shoulders of extraordinary giants who have served God for thousands of years in the most incredible ways. So what we complete is not due to our own uh, prowess and brilliant talents. We're called ikvus the mashiche. Ikvus the mashiche means the heel. We're on the bottom, but it's not the bottom. It's just a heel. It's the heel that carries the whole structure of the human organism, and we carry it with a foundation. We hold on to it, and we sit on their shoulders. We sit on their shoulders, and therefore, 
You have in Shabbos a malacha called Makabapatish. What's Makabapatish? Makabapatish is a chi of skiller, just like any other malacha. Makabapatish is one bang with a hammer. Boom! Come on, come on. What'd you do? You did nothing, right? If you wouldn't have prepared the keli for months in advance, there would have been nothing. But the Makabapatish, that's a malacha. So we are the Makabapatish of Jewish history. We were given a hammer, and God says, Give a clap. <laughs> Get rid of the toxicity. Get rid of the marashchayda. Get rid of the feeling that you're separate. Give a clap. That's it. You finish, you finish the malach of Ayichal, Alekim, Bayoy Mashvi, Malach Tashrasa, and you can go into Shabbos, Yom Shakuli Shabbos, and Nuchalichaye Lama. Sometimes, though, I just, uh, you'll forgive me. Uh, so, so, every, every situation, you know, we have to always remember that. Every person is on their own journey and different situations sometimes have unique uh, ingredients to them and uh, I'm not sure there's always one generic statement that applies to all. Yes, we want to live in the now. Sometimes a person is haunted by certain things and just to tell them, you know, it's all in your mind, you have to be very careful with that. So ultimately it's all in the mind, but in order to get there, we sometimes have to work through a lot, a lot of stuff and we must respect the different processes of people and the different journeys of people and sometimes people carry a lot inside of them and it's not it's 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 a little more complicated than just saying, you know, it's all in your mind. I'm just saying we have to always be very sensitive and empathetic, especially when it comes to mental health and it comes to people's uh, journeys and struggles. everybody, thank you. Thank you, Mrs. Belinov. I know she arranged it all. And thank you to Rabbi Smith, and thank you to all the Rabbonim, and thank you for everybody participating, and uh, should have tremendous Hatzlocha. And the main thing is, everybody should have a Gewaldik, a Ksivah, Vachsim, a Toivah, Shana Toivah, Um Sukkah, Begeshem, Uberuach, Gam Yochad, Betoivah, Nirevah, Nigla, Year of Health, Happiness, Prosperity, Nachas, and a Year of Geula, Shleimah, De Mashiach, Tzitkenu, Bimheira, Biyameinu, Amen, Ken, Yehirotzen, Chazak. Thank you. Good night. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.